Hi, everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk. That was like very professional. Thank you. I try sometimes. Yes, sometimes. As if, and other times I don't try at all. Right. Because that's life. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show, everybody. Just as a precursor, today on the show, what's going to happen is this first segment is all about psych news and horror facts and events events and i'm going to do some horror news and we're also going to talk a little trivia at the end of it as we do and then after that we will be doing a segment on no man for god which is the new bundy film that has come out and i'm also going to add in uh, a little thought i had about another ted bundy movie that just came out as well and it's called Ted Bundy, American Boogeyman. And it's by the same people who did The Haunting of Sharon Tate, if that gives you any idea of the caliber of the movie. Then after that, we're going to do, I'm really excited about this, Kathy. We're going to do a segment. We did an, a three-part series on Ted Bundy in our very first year. with Mm. poor audio but i would tell you not poor content i'll just tell you that because i have been going back and editing it together and it's not so bad but what we wanted to do is instead of doing a ted bundy series all over again what we wanted to do is take those chunks of material i did some editing, which I'll talk about a little little bit later because I want to be transparent about how I improved it a little bit. And we're going to talk about what we're talking about in those segments and we're going to amplify it and add things because, you know, I think three years later, maybe there's some other stuff we might want to say about it. And so we're, we're repurposing that material, but mostly because we were really proud of that segment, those segments and those series we did Mm -hmm. that first year and we worked so hard at them, Yeah, but we've gotten better. I mean, people get better, right? The audio's gotten better. I actually edit the episodes now, which I didn't really do then. Like, I know how to do that now. Yeah. And the material is good. And I just think that we probably have things to say about that. So that's going to be an ongoing thing. But anyway, today, Ted Bundy Spectacular. And then after that, we will get to our usual horror watches, horror reviews, and of course the answers to the trivia questions. Everybody waits. So that's the way the episode is rolling out today. Kathy, I believe you had an event you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I'm trying to keep us all up to date. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> she does so, a little flourish with her hands when she does that. A little like flur- rainbow flourish. I'm proud to say that my hometown of Detroit has the Detroit Spook Show. And because it's Detroit, admission is actually free. Oh. Halloween 2021. So it's for fans of horror. It's a... <laughs> This also sounds like Detroit, ready? Halloween 2021 for fans of horror, circus sideshow, the macabre, monsters, true crime, oddities, sci-fi, the paranormal, fantasy, and all Hallows Eve. This show is for you. Okay. So this will be in October. Yeah, I mean, it looks pretty cool. If you go to the website, the Detroit Spook Show, just go there. It looks like there's a lot of really cool stuff, and it is going on this year. I just want to add, I was looking up, I was talking to a friend yesterday 
And we were trying to see whether there were tickets to Dark Harbor. And it looks like they're not doing it this year, which is the Queen Mary event. And I was actually pretty shocked by that because when you and I went to the convention, they were like, who's going to Dark Harbor this year, right? And so I think what's happening is they're doing a huge refurbishment of the Queen Mary. And that obviously affects the show. So unless we just couldn't find the right page, it looks like that will not be, be going on this year. Okay. We'll keep looking into it. We'll keep it, looking. And if anybody here is different, tell us. But we couldn't find it. It's, yeah. It said that it wasn't happening this year. So. Yeah, I mean, things change. So we'll we'll figure it out. I mean, that's how we discovered the Awaken the Spirits pop-up right. is, you know, I thought Midsummer Scream wasn't happening and it wasn't happening yeah. for a really long this time. This would take way more preparation. But yes. I, I think that they are. Remember, they were talking about refurbishing that room that they never use. So, you know, for, okay. for those people who know the Queen Mary, I mean, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on that ship. So, gotcha. And I remember that when we went to the home haunts uh, panel yeah. at awaken the spirits, there was a guy on there that was, you know, when the dark Harbor wasn't happening last year, that's how he started right. his home haunt. Those were inspired. so cool. They, they have some creative people. And I think he's doing it again and stuff. So if you search the area around there in orange County for home haunts, I'm sure a bunch of things will come mm-hmm. up for sure. I wanted to mention on, on the event train is that, As we all know, Halloween Horror Nights has been going since September 3rd. And, well, actually, September 3rd from Orlando. And I believe the Hollywood one started September 9th. And there is an online shop of toys and shirts and things to collect from this year's Halloween Horror Nights. So I just wanted to make sure everybody knew. If you're not able to attend, you can at least pick up some of the Halloween Horror Nights merch cool. in the online shop. So there's collectible drinking glasses, toys, pins from Beetlejuice, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Universal Monsters, Child's Play. There's a bunch of... <laughs> I was looking at the Child's Play collectible glasses. Oh. Because they have chucky's face on them in a variety of hmm. chucky's girlfriends on them you know there's you a wouldn't variety want to drink of, out of that that's I fun know. for the whole family sounds delicious just want to throw that out there <laughs> there's an online shop go for it okay chucky's always around <laughs> right you also watched a psych doc that you were gonna talk i about. did i watched him it was very short it was only an hour and 20 minutes and it actually came out in 2019. I had never seen it before. I thought it was newer, but it's called American Tragedy. And it's actually about the Columbine shooting, but more specifically, Sue Klebold, who is the mother of the son who ended up taking a lot of people's lives and his own. And it's from her vantage point. I will say this. I have a lot of empathy for her and what she went through. It's really hard to have these conversations sometimes because clearly... You never want to downplay the pain and everything that she's been through. At the same time, I thought that the documentary was misleading in the sense that it really focused on how depression or unprocessed emotions can cause people to see, you know, the world in a delusional way, which is not entirely untrue. People can become depressed and And they spoke a lot about how depression can cause murder-suicides and things like that. These documentaries kind of make me cringe, though, because I think that it's it's another example of when it's a a young white male, then it's about mental instability. And if it's a person of color or 
someone else, then it's about terrorism or it's about psychopathology or it's about, so, you know, I had a hard time with them using depression as the center of his motivation. And it was really more a documentary around getting people to become more aware of teen depression and anxiety, which overall is a great message. Yes. It's a great message because we underestimate how many teens I'm actually talking to a school in Los Angeles on Tuesday to teenagers about depression and unprocessed emotion and suicide and all of that. But we also know that people don't lose their moral compass when they get depressed. And when we do see more murder suicides, oftentimes it's with someone in their own family or it's not someone writing a manifesto and then building bombs in the basement and then going to a school. And, you know, and, and not that they were saying that, that it wasn't layered, but I had an issue with the way that they only interviewed Dylan's mother. And I understand that was the purpose of it. But I think people could easily walk away from that going, wow, depression leads to homicide. Yeah, people will oversimplify. Yeah. And so overall, it was really interesting to hear how she felt like her son just really changed. I had so much empathy for her and what she had to deal with from the media and everyone calling her a monster. And we would have known if our son was building. And the message I did like, though, is that she was like, don't think that kids aren't doing things underneath your nose and you're not knowing. Oh, my gosh. If there's one thing I know right. from, from assessing kids. <laughs> right. Yeah. And she had, you know, she's visited. So and now she she does take a lot of she's made a lot of meaning out of her suffering and we'll talk to parents and she says it's hard when she has parents say, well, I don't know what happened to you, but I know my kid would never do that. You know? So she really is met with soul and she's also met with compassion. It's not a bad documentary. I just, if the wrong person watches it, who doesn't have a, a strong understanding of mental illness and whatnot, I think it could be a slippery slope, but it's worth a watch. Yeah. It sounds like it's a good addition to all the information yes. as opposed to don't get just that. That's information. right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Cool. Yeah. Much like we'll find out with Bundy stuff later. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, you know, one movie isn't all the information, right. but some movies are great additions to the spectrum of movies we have. And some are not. <laughs> Yeah, I think what really did it for me, though, is her her saying, like, I had to get up every day after that and know that my son was responsible for taking so many lives. And she had even said that the day that it happened, she said a prayer. She's like, I prayed that my God, my that God took my son, that he was not alive because I knew that we wouldn't have come out of this if he would have survived it. So some of her interviews are really moving. Yeah. So no, um, it sounds like very yeah, interesting. It's material. very interesting. And something that, you know, what we're always looking for in true crime docs, obviously, <clears> is just <throat> something new, right? Yep. Something, yep. a different tack. For sure. A different point of view, which it sounds like, of course, she would have a different point of view than the general public. Of course. That sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. I wanted to jump into some horror news. Okay. Okay. I want to hear. All right. Gina Malone recently rejoined The Ruins director Carter Smith to make the movie Swallowed his queer horror feature shot in rural Maine. The film is seeking distribution at the Venice International Film Festival. So for now, fans of the director star duo have the first image in which Malone's character appears worn down and weary. And I can tell you that the image isn't, there's nothing about that image that tells you anything, (laughs) but 
So the story is a tale of a small town alienation. Swallowed, which is the name of the movie, follows two best friends as their world turns into a drug-induced, bug-laden, backwoods nightmare. <laughs> Having just watched that movie, Bug. <laughs> oh, jeez. I don't know. I'm like, oh, no, more bugs. The film, I also watched that Mosquito State movie. Oh, God. Yes, and we so watched that, that was together. A bug, that was a bug thing. Although that movie was quite beautiful. Like the way it was shot, the visuals were just amazing. I was amazing. getting bit outside while we were watching. I was having a hard time. <laughs> it was a beautiful movie and thoughtful and all of that. But anyway, bugs. So more bugs. The film also stars Mark Patton, who was in Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm oh, Street. Yeah, that's a good one. Cooper Cook, Less Than Zero, Power Book mm. 2, Ghost, and newcomer Jose Colon. Smith is a three-time Sundance alumni, so he's been doing you know independent films for a bit. Swallowed is the spiritual successor to his short film, which was entitled Bug Crush, which won the jury prize at Sundance in 2006. So the quote that I'm reading is, Swallowed is the movie I wish I'd had as a horror-loving queer kid growing up in rural Maine with all the blood, sweat, and tears of a classic midnight movie. Cool. What's It's called Swallowed? Yes. And they only took 16 days to shoot it. Independent films, gotta love it. And yeah, wrote, directed, and produced on behalf of the company All the Dead Boys. The queer horror production outfit describes its mission as focused on exploring the queasy place where the beautiful and the horrific meet. Smith made Swallowed alongside Witchcraft Motion Picture Company producers Ross O'Connor, yeah, from Premature, and Noah Lang from The Climb. I mean, they did The Ruins. I don't know if you were around for that watch, but we watched The Ruins a bit back. I think I was. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. I mean, they're seeking distribution. You know, they're represented. They have, you know, agents to... It's interesting. It doesn't come up when I look for it. So, well, it's not out yet. They just shot it. Oh, there's not even, like, if I were to look up the title, there would be nothing on it? Except for on Horror News, which okay. is where I, I got it. So what is happening is that ICM is now presenting Swallowed to U.S. buyers at Venice Film Festival, and the film is currently available for foreign rights. Okay. So this is a movie that just finished shooting, mm-hmm. and we're hoping it gets picked up. So I'm putting my two yeah, cents I'd in like about to see that. It. It, looks, it sounds good. Also... You guys have been following Guillermo del Toro is making a anthology series, I guess you would call it. But if you were following Guillermo del Toro presents 10 after midnight, which is what they were calling it before. Now it's called Guillermo del Toro's cabinet of curiosities is supposedly the new and final title for the scary anthology project, which is it's going to land on Netflix, actually. So I'm excited about this. I like Guillermo del Toro's stuff. And it's just, it seems sort of star-studded and all of that. So Toro has curated a collection of unprecedented and genre-defining stories meant to challenge our traditional notions of horror, which he always does, of course. The press release says, from macabre to magical, gothic to grotesque, or classically creepy, these eight equally sophisticated and sinister tales will be brought to life by a team of writers and directors personally chosen by Del Toro, including Del Toro himself. So he's going to do a couple of episodes, but he's also, he's obviously executive producing. So some of the talent that's coming is the award winner, J. Miles Dale, who did The Shape of Water and Sex Life. 
also serves as the co-showrunner of the whole series, which a showrunner is the person that really curates the writing and, and really over, oversees all of the writing and the way it's put together, the creative content in many ways. I am excited. Uh, Jennifer Kent, Vincenzo, Natali, Panos, Cosmatos, are writing, directing singular episodes. So mm-hmm. that's exciting. There's also some other directors. You know, they've got all of the directors chosen. The cast for The Cabinet includes F. Murray Abram, Ben Barnes, Alpedia Carrillo, Essie Davis. Very exciting. Hannah Galway, Crispin Glover. Hello. He just pops up randomly in horror stuff, doesn't <laughs> know, he? It's so it. bizarre. I love it. I love it. Next week we're doing Friday the 13th, 3 and 4. And uh, he's such a trip in 4. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but also in this is David Hewlett, Andrew Lincoln, Luke, Ro- oh. Luke Roberts, Sebastian Roche, Glenn Turman, Peter Weller. I'm excited. I like Guillermo del Toro. I'm sure that you know, it'll be like most anthologies. Some will be amazing. Some won't, <laughs> you know. Yeah, for sure. I usual. like anthologies too. <laughs> the usual, right? Usual. All right. So now we would like to do a little segment we like to call. <laughs> you want to try it again? Yeah, that was. Now there's a little segment. I, I was like melting. Now there's a little segment we'd like to call. Artifacts with girl. Well done. That's like that band that people go, boo. Like if they open for a, no, I mean, not, not, not the music. Up, uprising. Yeah, Me, no, you. the lead singer. You attempting to sing to they're it. They're like, who the hell is, like and when you get like a bad opener at a concert, they're like, oh God, stop. Okay. So I keep giving you more. More. You blow out your mic every time, which is the best part of that whole thing. That's the best. So we've, we've changed our game. We sure have. So we have five different questions for Shannon today, and yes. let's see if she can... Hopefully they have been following along from the first two episodes of the season. If not, they'll catch on. They might. So we're going to do it like this. We're not going to tell them what we're doing. Smart. <laughs> we're just going to do it. Okay. Number one. <laughs> when and where... You have your pen. I do. I realized I was going to, oh, it's that thing where I have to write things down. You do. It's a different game. When and where was the first Dracula film made? When When and where, where. Shannon? When (laughs) and where? What and wild. Number two. What movie... And director set the groundwork for the slasher genre. Now, there's a little leeway in this. Are you trying to be the most annoying person okay. on the planet? <laughs> there is one answer to this. However, there's two other influencers that could possibly be correct. No, I I really like because this is what's been happening in this segment now, is I really like that some of the questions are could have multiple different kinds of answers and it's just you're going to give us like like they're very you know like i think i joked around in our first episode like according to who because of course right you know you can there's some creativity to the answer which i like because then that means it's just not a black and white answer correct go for it okay number three how long does it take for a body to decompose number four how old is King Tut's mummy? Hmm. Fascinating. And number five, who was the first witch in history? 
Oh, <laughs> that's amazing. Great job. I don't even know the answers. And it goes a great You're going to do great. <laughs> I'm not going to do gonna great. You're going to get one right. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. So uh, for those of you who are just tuning in, what we do now is we have a full show. And then at the end, we give the answers. Or I try to guess the answers. And then Kathy tells me that I'm wrong and gives us the right answers. That's usually That's what happens. That's basically what happens. But I hope you guys find it enjoyable. But for now, we're going to take a quick break. And we will be back with loads and loads of chat about Ted Bundy today. So we will see you in a moment. We are back with a segment on Ted Bundy. And by way of the new movie, the 2021 movie, crime drama, hour and 40 minutes, it is called No Man of God. We both just watched it this week, I guess. And here is the description. In 1980, Ted Bundy was sentenced to death by electrocution. In the years that followed, he agreed to disclose the details of his crimes, but only to one man. During the early days of the agency's criminal profiling unit, FBI analyst Bill Hagmeyer met with the incarcerated Ted Bundy in the hopes of understanding the psychology of the serial killer and providing closure for the victim's families. So this movie basically just dramatizes those conversations. And whereas you might feel like, oh, it's just like two guys talking for an hour and 40 minutes. That is a lot of it. Surprisingly, very good movie. Yeah, I mean, Ted Bunny was a real a-hole, but, you know. Does that, ha- does that have to do with the movie, though? It, well, it does, because, it. I mean, I think. I mean, he's a real a-hole. But I think that. Um, Thank you for that analysis. We'll be right back. <laughs> Clinically speaking. Um, no, I mean, he was a really difficult, you know, he was known to be incredibly difficult. And not all of them are, because a lot of them want the, you know, all the focus and stuff. But he was incredibly difficult and i'll get into this in a bit but so this movie shows that though that it first, shows yeah. that and i'll talk a little bit about bill in a while here and just like his background but yeah he was the first guy to really be able to break that elijah wood was an interesting choice because he doesn't look anything like bill Hickler. no he really so he doesn't I was look like, anything like i wonder bill why they chose him because i mean yeah. it sounds to me i mean i don't know because i haven't studied the movie in that way but yeah. my reaction is to say they they got a Ted Bundy lookalike, and also the actor, as good actors do, became a Ted Bundy lookalike, oh and really mimicked him exceptionally. And I have a feeling that they're like, well, we don't have to do that with Bill, because Bill is not a figure that everybody knows what they look like and sound like. For anybody who studies true crime, everybody has gone to YouTube and watched these before. Mm-hmm. So Ted Bundy is a public figure that we've all watched and so, but Bill Hagmeyer, not as much. Yeah, which is fascinating because to me, watching this movie, I was more into Bill's character. I wanted a little bit more just because we all know Ted's story. Oh, well, we I was all, say, that's what I'm saying. We all know he's an a-hole. Right? No, and that's exactly what I was saying is yeah. that we're more curious about Bill Hagmeyer because he's not the person that we've like watched and, and hate watched for <laughs> decades now. So the only thing I'll say about that is, and I don't, I'm, I'm not an Elijah Wood hater. I actually like Elijah Wood. I just don't 
from the interviews I've seen with Bill Hagmeyer and what I know about his background, I just don't think it was the best choice. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't think it really, maybe, I mean, fair enough to say that maybe a much younger Bill Hagmeyer, maybe that was closer to Elijah Wood. But even when you go back and you watch the interviews with Bill, he's very flat. He's very, like his demeanor, Elijah Wood did not capture him, I don't think. He captured like the interview style maybe, but he didn't capture Bill Hagmeyer at all as far as, I mean, my opinion. Uh, I don't find Bill Hagmeyer to be a very charismatic or interesting person to watch. Not at all. And I, so I'm going to say that that was a good thing, that they Mm -hmm. didn't capture Bill Hagmeyer in this movie. So I'm going to be a little bit in opposition to it. I don't, I don't care whether Elijah Wood is in this movie or not. I'm not the biggest fan of Elijah Wood. But it didn't ruin the movie for me, which it could have, right? When there's an actor that you're not that thrilled about, that can kind of Mm -hmm. taint a movie for you. But it didn't bother me. I thought he did a great job, actually. But I also would not have wanted the person to be like the real Bill Hagmeyer. Because he's pretty dry and all of that. So I'm I'm glad they didn't do that, actually. But Luke Kirby. Oh, my God. Talk about what you thought about Luke Kirby. I mean, everything from... And, and the, they directed it well because the way that the camera shot his... I thought it was directed amazing. It was. And the camera angles really captured Luke Kirby's mannerisms, like the way Ted Bundy would use his eyes and look up. And although, like, he would do this really strategic, vulnerable, yet arrogant stare like i don't know he had he had this down where it was like am i trusting you in this moment am i not trusting you in this moment and ted but and then within a moment like a like a flip of a switch the rage would come out two seconds earlier he's asking bill how his family is and all this stuff so ted he really was very narcissistic in that way that he was like the rage, the mask would drop. He was really easy to read when he would flip. You know, he wasn't very sophisticated. He had no impulse control. This is a guy that gave up his counsel to represent himself because he didn't think anybody could do it better. Yeah, I thought Luke Kirby's performance was exceptional and, and made the movie it did. in many ways. The portrayal was excellent. I liked the fact that they went for a mimic or a not not a, I don't want to reduce acting to mimicry because it's not Mm-mm. but a portrayal of Ted Bundy that was a acting like Ted Bundy so that we could be truly in the moment of what it's what what it might have been like to sit with him and be manipulated by him yeah and I want to shout out the director because I thought the directing was really solid because I thought that the shot choice was excellent. Mm-hmm. And I thought the all, there's a lot of close up. And when, and so that just tells me that the director, Amber Seeley wanted an intimacy to it. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it needed to have that intimacy because the climax of the movie, which is a choice, right? You could be watching this movie and you could be thinking, how are they going to make this? How are they going to have this movie have a climax? Because it's really just two guys talking and getting to know each other, which was, by the way, riveting. Is what they did was is the climax of this movie is you really get to see behind the mask. I'm not giving anything away, but you get to see the way it's done is very, very creative. But the payoff is that you see behind Ted Bundy's mask, but then alternately in the climax, a few moments later, you see behind Bill Hagmeyer's mask. And I thought that for an intimate, talky, character driven flick, big budget flick, 
seeing behind the mask I thought was a great way to go for the dramatic climax of the mm-hmm. story and I think it's really the only choice you have if you want it to be a good movie because it's intimate and it's talking and it's very very character driven but mm-hmm. I think it really ex- it succeeded no it absolutely did at one point they talk about how bill hagmeyer ted bundy called him his best friend and i don't actually don't think that was that part was manipulative i think at that point ted actually felt that that was the one person that maybe understood him um yeah and that's documented that that he felt they were friends yeah that they were friends i thought it was interesting that he downplayed his relationship with ann rule which was interesting because ann rule really stuck by him all the way until she figured out that he was who was being, you know, who was wanted. I thought her portrayal was really good too. Yeah. And she, um, if people are listening and they haven't read the book, a stranger beside me, it's a wonderful book about her relationship with him. So I thought that was interesting because he was calling her and writing to her and all of that all the way up until his execution. So it was really interesting how he downplayed it his relationship with her bill the the part that you're talking about though shannon i really liked as well which was bill because it was i guess somewhat of a confidential conversation at times it almost felt like bill was the patient Mm -hmm. right when he was talking about his sort of fantasies about what it would be like to kill somebody and what he could actually do. And yeah, Bill was very talented. He's a very talented interviewer mm-hmm. and a very talented assessor because as an FBI agent, he he would believed in himself and that he could befriend Ted and have Ted tell him these things. And one of the ways they portrayed it in the movie was that a certain amount of self-disclosure, as you and I both know, is a very well-timed intervention mm-hmm. to use. And he did that very successfully with Bundy. Well, he was a school counselor before he went into the FBI, which I think also, you know, gave him some of that psych background, right? He knew, and and we know that many people who end up in the system have no, their, their, their development only goes as far as their adolescence. So right. he really knew how to, you know, you and I both work with adolescents. We know that certain amounts of self-disclosure and um, not shaming them and all of that gets them to open up. And I think he probably took a lot of his experience being a school counselor in his interviews with him. Yeah, it's just like when you're interviewing somebody who believes that there's there's bugs crawling up the wall mm-hmm. or that they're friends with Barack Obama because they're in a psychotic state, you don't break that reality. Mm-mm. You don't do that. And so that's kind of what he's doing is he had the that's, skills. That's how you work with narcissism yeah. in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Is and if you want if you need something from them and you want to talk about it, that rigid narcissism needs you to self-disclose. Mm-hmm. Needs you to he does a whole bunch of well, you're the expert and I need you for this and mm-hmm. that and whatever. But he doesn't do it so much so that the narcissist reacts by saying like, why do I have to teach you all of these things? He doesn't do it so much that they get to that point mm-hmm. where the narcissist clams up. So he just uses, you know, strikes his ego ten. just enough. Yeah. And that's a delicate balance. Mm-hmm. And I observed that in that first third of that movie, he did it really well. I also thought that there was this moment when I realized kind of what Bill was doing and maybe the way I would characterize it is that he's the perfect mirror. Oh, for sure. So what, so the things I'm describing in that first chunk of time where they're getting to know each other, or at least the way it was portrayed is that bill provides the perfect echo 
the echo to Ted's narcissist. It's like he echoes him just enough and needs him just enough. But I w- the thing I wrote down while I was writing it, well, while I was watching it, was that he's the perfect mirror for me, the self I believe myself to be. Mm-hmm. And that, like, if I was kind of like channeling Ted, like, what am I thinking in this moment? Mm-hmm. This, like, he's not understanding it, but. But Bill just represented the self that he believed himself to be. And when a narcissist can do that with you, because, of course, we, when we treat narcissism, there a lot of them want to be psychologists mm-hmm. <laughs> or studied psychology. So if they can take a moment to believe that you have the self that they believe they have and that perfect mirror and that echo of who they think they are, mm-hmm. they'll open up. Yeah, and that's what he did, and I just thought it was a great. No, it was. It was. It was done really, really well. I totally agree with that. I was really wait. I, I was interested. They didn't get to this part. Obviously, you know, Bill did series among series of interviews. This is a snapshot leading up to his execution, but he was in there quite a bit, and they didn't get to any of. They didn't really show as much of Ted's. Uh, how do I want to say this? I guess delusions or Ted used to talk in third person a lot. And I was, I was wanting them to really show that. that. Mm -hmm. Um, And they didn't get to that. And I understand it wasn't really about displaying Ted and his psychopathology, but Bill specifically has talked about how interesting that was when he was escaping his, you know, the fact that he was a perpetrator, he was externalizing that piece of him and he would talk in third person. And I kind of wish they would have thrown that in there because it was a really interesting, but I know they couldn't put everything in there. No, I mean, that would have just been one of the parts you would have liked them. And I I think Mm -hmm. that probably comes out of the fact that you liked so much of what they did to begin with, that it would have been nice to see how they could have weaved that through. A lot of the reviews and a lot of the people I've talked to about this movie have said that they really liked it. It's Mm -hmm. overwhelmingly popular in that way. Most people say it's a solid movie. But they also say, wow, it's really good to see a Ted Bundy movie that doesn't aggrandize him as a a hero, not a hero, but like as a a popular person. Yeah, they didn't sensationalize him at all. Sensational, that's exactly the word I was looking for. didn't sensationalize him. So I did want to mention that I saw this other movie. Yeah. That's called Ted Bundy, American Boogeyman. That just came out as well in 2021, crime drama, almost two hours long. First problem. Oof. So these, this, much is, Ted. this is by the people that did The Haunting of Sharon Tate. And I do believe I spoke about that movie on here before. And you can Google it or what have you. The Haunting of Sharon Tate completely... Oh, God. Chad Michael Murray plays Ted Bundy? Yeah. So the, these two movies that I'm talking right. about... So this movie is no exception. It's the same as The Haunting of Sharon Tate, where it is pretty terrible movie. And it just sensationalizes. It literally... We don't need any more movies that take us through the Ted Bundy murders. No, we don't. We just don't need any more movies. Now, later in the show, we are going to start a re-listen to some Ted Bundy material that we did uh, two, three years ago, and we're going to explicate that with what we know now. And I will say that, of course, we go through the murders. Whenever we do a series, we go through the murders. But we are are talking about them from a psychological perspective. And so it's important for you to know what happened. And yes, people want to 
sensationalize and watch movies like that. But listen, we just don't need a drama. It it, it watched like a TV dramatization. Ugh. Remember when you used to watch like the I'm forensic I'm looking at pictures file? right now and that's what it's looking like. When yeah. you used to watch like the forensic file TV shows or whatever and then they do a dramatization of the crime. The, it was like two hours of that. I'm just really, I know this is irrelevant to what you're talking about, cool. but I'm just really curious why they would, Chad Michael Murray doesn't look anything like Ted Bundy. No, I mean, they've done that before in other movies. I, I don't know. It's a terrible I mean, choice. The One of the problems I have with it is that Lynn Shay is in it, and I need to have a conversation I with her know. because I love her. That's how I feel about Adam Driver and Annette. They're, don't even get me started. Okay. The worst piece of trash that's come out. In this, oh, it's, I'm embarrassed for him. Oh, no. Oh, no, I love him. So oh. do I. So Lynn Shay had a small part in this. She plays Mrs. Bundy. She plays Bundy's mother. Now, she's great of course so the one scene or whatever two scenes that she's in where she plays this is so she portrays bunny's mother as if bunny was completely out to lunch and just loved her son and didn't want to ever come to the reality in other words that even in the end when she heard about what ted had done she didn't believe it and offered them tea or whatever so that's the way Mrs. Bundy is portrayed in this movie by Lynn Shay. Lynn Shay is an excellent actress, and I love her, but I'm just super sorry she's in this movie. It's That's a shame. It's awful. Just like The Haunting of Sharon Tate. Now, by saying that, I'm fully aware of the fact that some people might go out and watch it because it's, <laughs> you know, some people when you say, oh, that's trash, they go, ooh, trash, I want to go watch. I would say, I would recommend, well, you do what you want to do. We all get to watch what we want to watch. I did not enjoy it, and nor did the people I watched it with enjoy it. But you know what? I took one for the team. Yes, you did. Because I knew we were doing this episode, and I thought, I'm going to bring the joy and the pain. Because the joy was No Man for God. I recommend that movie highly. It was great. Ted Bundy, American Boogeyman, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> Was there something else that you wanted to say? No, about? I mean, it kind of embedded some of the stuff about Bill in there and some of the things I wish that they would have done. But I just, if you go onto YouTube, there's a lot of really good actual interviews that people haven't ever watched the live interviews with Ted Bundy. And like Shannon says, we've, we've seen, you know, we know what he did. And, but I think it's more about Bill's interview style. And one of the things that I liked about the movie too is it, it reminded me a lot of Mindhunter. Yeah, that that is exactly what I thought too. Is I thought, oh wow, now I want to rewatch Mindhunter. Yeah, because he really was the part of the the origin of that whole field of like be, the behavioral science unit. Of he was one of the first people to explain to law enforcement that we had to understand the psychology of these guys to get ahead of them. And so he, there's a lot on him. If you're if you're interested in true crime and you're interested in you know, the stuff that Shannon and I talk about on the show, which I would think you are if you're listening, which is how these people have gotten into the head of these perpetrators and use the psychology against them to give us information. Bill Hagmeyer is one of the the pioneers in this field of that. And when he was, uh, this, the movie talks about it, portrays this a little bit, is they really... He was very timid and they really doubted that he could get in there and do it. Um, and he did it. And so, and I think it shocked him because he had no idea when he joined the FBI that he would ever end up doing this type of work, especially coming out from being a school counselor and married with kids. And all, the last thing he thought he was going to be this, like one of the most 
famous profilers to ever live at least so far. So there's a lot out there on him. And to me, that's what this movie was really about was giving us a little bit more understanding of what it takes to get inside the mind of people like this. Absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with some more Ted Bunny material. I think you guys are going to enjoy our re-listen to the first series that we did because we're going to break it up with a bunch of commentary in in between and and maybe a little bit of laughter at ourselves, although I did clean it up a bunch, (laughs) which I will explain after the break because I like to be transparent about what we do to fix things around here and how we do that. Of course, there's more of that discussed and talked about in, in the, some of the blog posts and the stuff that we do for Patreon in our mini-casts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go more behind the scenes, but I do want to, for the purposes of those not on Patreon, I, do, I will be you know vulnerable about what I've shifted around for us in that. But after the break, we'll get into some more Ted Bunny material. I love it when you make funny faces when we're doing that. She was almost going to sing. I feel like you're going to burst out in song to some of the music cues, which I, I would wasn't going to sing there. I was actually like fading into it. Very. It was just it like, was like you're a floating. Yes. Like you're floating, looking up into the it was sky. Like a lyrical dance. It is. It yeah. is. Maybe we could come up with an interpretive dance for that one. Only for your eyes to see <laughs> with your shining socks on. Mm-hmm. We have photos of Kathy in her outfit today. It's amazing, it's isn't it? It's pretty glorious. Creep show, button-down shirt, shining knee socks. She's a hot bitch. <laughs> all right. Don't and be jealous. Just, I'm a, Right? Don't be jealous. I get to sit with her. Yep. And you don't. It's all right. You might have heard some crinkling. I was wrapping up the Halloween pumpkins that we were eating. <laughs> Which we now would know what's in that because of okay. Horror Facts with Kath. Yes. Yeah, so revisit that. We're not going <laughs> to tell you again. <laughs> I yeah. saw you just shutting me up right there as it was coming out. and moving on. And yeah, listen to that episode. She just started laughing. Okay. So what we're really doing here right now. I have not listened to this. Okay, great. Since we that's recorded great. it. That's great. So that's very cool because that's an added layer that we'll get. What we are starting is a full re-listen to all three episodes, three parts each. So there's... Lots of there's lots of meat here of a series that we did our first year in podcasting. So whereas there is a lot of great content is what I can tell you is I was afraid to listen back to it as well (laughs) because I'm a bit terrified. Things have changed a bit and I do feel as if we have progressed in our ability to have conversations with each other, our ability to know when the other person needs to say something. Right. So I think one of the things I can just speak to for the next 30, 60 seconds is what I did to the material because I want to be transparent about how it sounds now. So if you don't like the way it sounds now, just know I worked worked kind of hard to make it sound okay. So deal with it because it's about 20 times better than it was. (laughs) And we're going to cut in and, and talk about some stuff. But what I would say is that it's got a lot of good material. It's just we it was our first year and we didn't have great sound. So what I did was, for those of you who might be curious, and I'm sure there are budding podcasters out there that haven't, you know, started or don't kind of know what it feels like to do that. There's a level in our Patreon 
where I'm actually posting our very first season, but I'm I'm re-editing them to not be so horrible so they can be very listenable uh, sound-wise. But I'm also doing like a big blog post for each episode about what we were doing and how it was and kind of funny stories along the way for one of the levels on Patreon. But for those of you who are not on Patreon, I did want to let you know that what I did was today I have about nine minutes of the first episode. So it's really only maybe like one-fifth of what we did that first episode. But it takes a while to edit because here's what I had to do, and you guys will relate to this if you're podcasters, is that I had to amplify the sound. So I had to put it in you know, a program and I had to amplify all of it because what we were doing is we were using our phones and we weren't even in the same room at that point. We figured out that if we could use our phones and be in our own houses, it actually kind of sounded better than trying to do it together in the same room at that point because we didn't have any of the equipment that we have now. So we're on our phones, so there's some dropouts. Now, what I also did is I tried to edit out most of the dropouts. I edited out a lot of ums, and ahs and lip smacks <laughs> and so that's before I had my dentures <laughs> well I edit out those things now but I can tell you mostly I mean you guys hear some because I I don't edit out all of them because it would it would take a little bit more time and I just don't got it but I do edit out, I edit out lip smacks I edit out ums and ahs and sometimes we get befuddled and we mess up what we're saying and we just take a pause and I'll edit that out, that kind of thing. You know, the editing that goes along with any audio or visual medium, there is some of that. So what I did is I edited out some stuff. I tried to edit out some of the uh, weird kind of blips and blobs audit- auditorily that we had, whatever. Not all of them were edited outable. <laughs> so there's a few of that. There's a little bit of that, but I think you'll be I think you'll be pleased with how it sounds in general, Kathy. They're all waiting. <laughs> I did I do think it's valuable to know what I what I fixed. I know, I'm just saying I have a lot of anticipation. All right. So what what it starts off with is Kathy does an introduction to the series. Oh god. And so <laughs> So this is partly us giving you guys a lot of inf- great information that was well-researched about Ted Bundy. So that's part of what this series is, because we want you to enjoy that part of it, because I'm not putting those old episodes back up. <laughs> Can I just say something real quick? Sure. This was also, when we did this, it was way before all the Ted Bundy hype. It was. So the stuff that we talk about on this series was not as widely known as it is now. It was coming off of me. I think I had read the Anne Rule book maybe a year before or something like, or two years before. And so I remember after this, we were like, oh my God, all these movies are coming out about. So Mm -hmm. to kind of keep that in mind too, because there's so much on him now. There is so much on him now. And here's the thing though, too, is what I will share with everyone, including Kathy, is that this episode, and honestly, like I said, there's only about eight or nine minutes of it that we're going to, deal with today but this whole episode it was our was i took it down i took down a lot of all season one but because we're gonna reformat and we're gonna add we're gonna offer it to patrons and we're gonna put up a lot of behind the scenes content with it on our patreon and that's what we're gonna use it for and because you guys just want the new stuff anyway but it was our most downloaded most listened to episode Mm -hmm. ever like even still when i took all of it down recently it still was the most downloaded. So whereas it might not have been, there might not have been as many Ted Bundy movies. It was 
really a very popular, like, it was a good thing we did it. Yeah, let's <laughs> put it that way. So, Kathy, are you ready? I think so. To hear us? Okay. Sure. I helped us out. So, don't worry. You're not going to hear us saying, like, ums and ahs like we were in the real good. time. <laughs> it's not good. And this was also before you and I were in the same room. That's, I said that earlier. Yeah. We were on our, so yes, to, I, we were on our phones, like I said, and we were in a diff, different rooms. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. Dr. Barrett, here we are. Let's talk about Ted Bundy. Yeah. Let's do it. As everyone is aware, we are Sounds doing good, a Shannon. series on Ted Bundy, and this is the first of what we think will be three, maybe more, episodes that will dive into Bundy's formative years, his teenage years, and I believe some are all of his college years. I will leave it to Dr. Kathy Barrett to give us... I like how I'm like, Dr. Barrett. So I'm like formal. Giving, I'm, I was giving you all kinds of... It was early on, kids. I, I was trying to sort of say, like, listen... She knows what she's talking about. She's a doctor. <laughs> the sound, I mean, for those of you who didn't get to listen to this episode, I want to just give Shannon some props because it was like barely audible. <laughs> Thank you. And you've that you really cleaned it up. I'm even just listening to that first 23 seconds. I know. Seconds, I was like, is that the episode? I I literally in that first 23 seconds probably edited out so many like little bits and bobbles and noises we were making and things we we would bop the our own phones and uh, oh my gosh okay so part of this is you hearing us <laughs> be crazy about our origins but also there's some good information so here we go there's a lot of information but i'm going to be asking questions and sort of going along with you guys and figuring this out yeah i've always been drawn to his story and i think it's because and shannon you can probably agree with this too is he came off as such a quote unquote, whatever normal means, mm -hmm. guy. He was the guy next door. He was, a lot of people found him to be really good looking. He presented like he was educated, articulate, confident, not the type of person that you would suspect to be one of the most notorious serial killers in America. Yeah, the unassuming. Very right? unassuming. And so I think there's something about that that has always been very fascinating to me because sometimes we look at other serial killers or other psychopaths like Eileen Mornos or Charlie Manson, and you look at them and you're like, clearly they're crazy. <laughs> you know, just mm -hmm. whether it's their hair <laughs> or their mugshot or the things they say. Right. They but Ted Bundy, from the time he was in the press to his very last interview, presented very stoic, other than some crocodile tears at the very end, which we'll get to in another episode. I was always really drawn to that because I think before I get into his childhood, I think a lot of the discussions that we're having nowadays with the school shootings and the, you know, where is all this violence coming from? And we can't detect it before it happens. And we're blaming a lot of stuff on mental health. And people don't really know where this comes from. And there's this ongoing debate between, you know, does evil really exist? Or is everything related to mental health? Or how much does environment or upbringing or stress in the womb and all this stuff? So Ted Bundy, I think, is a really interesting one to study because a lot of people think this man was pure evil. And as we get mm. into him today, at times, I think he's pure evil. But we'll talk about his childhood a little bit right now. And you'll see how a lot of things sort of created this path of destruction for him. And so I don't know how much of it I think is nature and how much of it is nurture. And I think that's just the ongoing psychology debate anyway. So we've talked a lot about nature and nurture since then, right? <laughs> yeah. I also want to say too, listening to myself talk about what I was interested in about him still is his childhood and the identity stuff that I'm not sure if we'll get to that on this episode, 
But Ted Bundy as a serial killer, his story is really not that fascinating to me. I think it's more of like how someone so unassuming and then what we find out about his childhood, how he became a serial killer, but his actual serial killings, his actual story, I wish they would actually do more on his childhood. To me, that's more fascinating. Well, and that's, I mean, honestly, that's why we got in the game. Yeah. We originally wanted to do these serial killer series from a psychological perspective in order to explicate the childhoods. So that's what the Manson stuff is. That's what the Bundy stuff is. That's what the Dahmer stuff was, you know, just like their socialization, their parents. And we'll get into a little bit here in a minute because where you start is mom and dad. Yeah. And, and that is, that's the... Those are the episodes we enjoyed the most was those first couple in any series where Mm -hmm. we were talking about how they became a serial killer. And quite honestly, I also think that's what the listeners were interested in, too, Mm -hmm. because as I said in the last segment about Ted Bundy, American Boogeyman, like we don't need a recitation of the murders, although I do feel like recently when you did the Toy Box Killer you went explicitly into the murders, and I thought that was necessary. For him, for sure. For him, I think it's very necessary mm-hmm. to put ourselves through that yeah. to understand exactly what you're dealing with. Because, of course, these men and the way they kill, but not every single one, mostly men, I should say, yeah, not every single one, but most of them, the way they kill, the what they choose to do is very much a part of the psychology and where it came from. Right. Yeah, because they're very different, the two of them, and their motivations and everything. Yeah. So what you're saying is just from that little chunk is that your interest is still that that's... My interest is more in his upbringing and what turned him versus like his actual serial killing. I don't think he's that interesting of a serial killer. Okay. Well, we'll see as as we go through these episodes and talk more about Ted Bundy, maybe we'll... I mean, I have a feeling we're going to have more and more things to add. Yeah. So let's let's uh, listen to some more. I just wanted to say that very infamous criminals are what is what can be so fascinating and what we often don't hear a lot about is where they started and and what contributed to the behaviors. And I think that's what's so interesting about this kind of discussion or this kind of yeah. um, research. So just to give you a real quick before I get into the childhood, for those of you who don't know as much about Ten Bunny, as I mentioned, he's he is one of the most notorious serial killers in America who hit, I think it was at least five or six states, starting in 1974 is what they believe to be when his killing spree started. Lasted five years for what they know, as, as far as they can track it. And he would admit, by the end, he admitted to 36 killings. However, experts do believe that he murdered over 100 people. 36 is what they found, oh. but they suspect that it was at least triple or close to triple that. But there are a lot of okay. uh, unsolved murders around that time, bodies that were found that replicate. And I'm not sure exactly if he did allude to that as well towards the end that there were more. I can't remember. And maybe I'll find that out for you guys by the time mm-hmm. we get to that point. That's a little introduction to this man. So let's go back to where this all started. Ted was born in 1946. He was born with, uh, in Burlington, Vermont, little East Coast town. But he was also born in a home for unwed mothers. He was born out of wedlock. And his mother, who defended him till the, to the very end, her name was Eleanor Louise Cowell. They didn't even have the name Bundy yet, which we'll get to, which sort of plays a part in his identity. So he was born out of wedlock. So Eleanor, a little bit about his mom, she came from an abusive home. 
she was a, a department mm. store clerk who was who when she had found out she was pregnant was really ostracized. I mean, you're thinking 1946, it's bad now. Imagine what it was then. So she yeah. was ostracized by her church, her social circle, when it was found out that she was pregnant. No one asked anything about the pregnancy. It's just, here's this unwed mother, she's pregnant, so she's ostracized. There's a few theories around who Ted's father, biological father is. So there, there's a few different theories. So one had been that she had been allegedly seduced by a quote-unquote strange man who got her pregnant allegedly there's yeah right so okay. and i'm not sure if she just didn't feel comfortable <laughs> speaking out because one of the theories was that it was her own father that she was raped by her own father and so then there yeah. was also allegedly a sailor by the name of jack worthington had raped her but after looking into military records there was no record of anyone by that name we don't know anything about that mm -hmm. And then there's a couple other theories, but those are the two most notable ones. Once we get in, I'm going to talk about his biological grandfather. And so it would not surprise me if Ted was a product of incest and that his mom had been right. raped. Um, his father was very violent. Starting out from a psychological or nurturing or attachment perspective, Bundy grew up not knowing who his father was. He had no idea who his father was ever. And no one to this day already you've gotten exactly so issue, no one right? even and to, to this day no one knows who he is so eleanor cowell his mom was 22 years old and unmarried when she had theodore so this really humiliated her deeply religious parents so mom and dad were very religious so after giving birth in the unwed mother mother's home she came back to her parents in Philadelphia and moved in with them. Ted started off his life as a secret and his mother's greatest shame. Somebody obviously took it upon themselves to try and figure out who his father was, but then there was just no traction on that, it sort of sounds like. It was like all stories yeah. and, and lore. I guess it's the mom, you know, because it was so shameful, she just didn't want to say. So I'm thinking it's even more shameful than what I they think might so think, too. I right? mean, it's, Eleanor uh... obviously, I'm assuming, knew who it was and never wanted that to get out. And if it was his father, his father's never going to say anything mm -hmm. because, you know, everything is so closeted at that time. So, 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 right. I mean, right there, you already have so many layers. And then to add to that, from a psychological perspective, Eleanor's mother had a history of depression. So she could have been completely shut mm -hmm. down. And here dad is trying to parentify Eleanor and sort of becoming the woman in the house and potentially using her for his sexual pleasure or whatever, or punishing her or whatever. She often underwent electroconvulsive therapy. Eleanor's father, Simon, the alleged rapist here, was noted to be extremely violent. He was addicted to pornography. And one of the things that came up in a couple different stories that I looked into is he would actually toss his daughters down the stairs if they slept too late. He'd kick the family dog mm. until he howled, screaming sociopathy right there. I mean, the dad just seems very, very violent and completely shut off and obviously not very nurturing or yeah. supportive. And I, and I hear what you're saying. The obvious piece of this is that violence and that lack of caring for nurturing for anything. And then, and then I think I wouldn't want to devalue the impact that a depressive mother, you know, we would, we would undervalue right. that because a depressive mother would be sort of mm -hmm. quiet and unassuming. And, and obviously, I mean, well, from what you're saying, a victim, and I think we might see this as we get into other cases like this. We might see this as a theme because the depressive mother is very difficult to survive in a healthy yes. manner. Mm -hmm. They can't nurture. They can't. They don't want to touch right. you. They don't pay attention to you. They don't mirror you. All that good, healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these exactly. kids 
All exactly. So these girls right. are getting abused and mom can't really step up. And it was 1946. A wife's not going to step mm-hmm. up to an abusive husband. Right. And no, there's right. no antidepressant. We're not and if she's getting it, electro, so. you know, convulsive therapy, she's probably knocked out for a little bit. So we're painting this picture of a really, really sad home. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is, um, <laughs> I don't think we realize that this would become the model for so many of our other, you know, true crime stories that we've talked about, which is just the origin, Mm -hmm. the family of origin. When you did the Iceman killer, same thing. His, his family background was just tragic. Yeah. I think we knew it intellectually. I think we intellectually knew that there are so many commonalities to the way that potential serial killers are nurtured Mm -hmm. or not nurtured or treated when they're, in, from in the womb to as little kids when they're developing. And we, I mean, I think we knew it intellectually from our education, but really digging into each one in, in those, in the small moments of these people's lives, as much as we can know them, not having lived them, how many commonalities now having done five or six of these series later, but also I'm also struck by all of the differences too. So yep. Listening, you know, editing this and listening back to it is is a really is is really good in the sense for me because I'm rehearing the stories and I'm really sort of I remember digging into the details of each person and how interesting it was and and we hope that you will find this re-listen interesting as we bring it forward for ourselves again, but also for you, obviously at the end of the day, it's, it's all for you guys so that we can just continue to discuss things. So what do we know now? What did we learn today? We learned that there's a really good movie out <laughs> by Ted with, Ted, uh, with Ted Bunny and Bill Hagmeyer characters. We learned there's a really bad movie out. We also learned that Ted Bundy had a mother who had been abused possibly raped but ted bunny was possibly the product of a rape an incestual rape right and what what i what we didn't get to in this too is he actually grew up believing that i do talk about it in the series he grew up initially believing that his mother was his sister right so we'll definitely get there yeah and so again you know what happens when somebody doesn't have their true identity it was so fragmented and how much that made him spiral. But right. So, so what we know is that his mom grew up in an abusive environment Mm -hmm. was physically and possibly sexually abused Mm -hmm. and then was very depressed and had a lot of trauma in her history Then was trying to raise Ted. So a depressed mother and he didn't know who his father was. Right. And she never told him for, from what we know, I guess, at this moment in time. In other words, that's what we know so far. We're going to go all the way through this series. That's how Ted started. So please join us in the next section of this. We will continue on in a couple of weeks, actually. Uh, next week, we're going to do uh, our segment on horror books and have a lot of fun. And then maybe we'll switch. You know, we'll, we'll go off and on with the Ted Bundy mm-hmm. <laughs> re-listen along the way. But we hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much. We're about to do our horror watches. We're going to switch gear and talk a little horror. So we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. We are back. Let's talk horror flicks. Let's do it. Shall we? That's amazing. I know we're coming off the high of going to the theater with Candyman. And we haven't been able to go back to the theater since. But soon, 
soon because their antlers is coming out. There's yes. A, some stuff coming out that we need to get our butts stuff. to the theater for. So I'm looking forward to that. But in our in our Discord that is patron only, we watch a lot of movies every week. So I was pretty excited this past week to watch Carrie and Poltergeist as a double feature. And we enjoyed the shit out of that. Because yeah. I hadn't watched Carrie in a really long time. So that's really nice because I have selective memory, as you know. Yeah. And so when I sat down to I watch Carrie. I can see Carrie, your dirty pillows. <laughs> see, you guys can come up with lines from the movie. They're all going to laugh at you. There you go. And I had even just forgotten that John Travolta was in the damn movie. <laughs> you know, like that's where I'm. That's it was what like I'm Saturday Night with. Fever with blood. <laughs> because I read the book. And that book as a kid was like amazing. Like the movie is so tragic. I mean, Sissy Spacek, here's a little horror facts with Kath. Sissy Spacek like slept in her blood for three days to remain like really focused on the character. And like she, I mean, it is such a tragic coming of age story for a girl in the seventies. I mean, the scene where they're throwing tampons at her. 1976 guys i say it holds up the only thing culturally that does not hold up because i literally just watched it again with our with our discord community there is a lot of okay you're allowed to shame children mercilessly not just peers we always shame our peers when we're teenagers but teachers were shaming kids oh yeah a bunch in this movie so that hit me with like a ton of bricks just the cultural differences there was lots of slapping john travolta slaps his girlfriend who is not sissy spacek a couple of times he was putting her in her place shannon this is what i'm saying 1976 a little bit different i'm not saying that they were saying that these characters were healthy right i understand that they were saying normal thing to have in a yeah but it was a pretty like if like if teenagers were doing that to each other in a movie today it would have ha- it would have to be that they were possessed by the devil or something, right? Like there'd have to be a justification, or there'd be they'd be the most unlikable character that would die <laughs> because they did that, right? I mean, when I was watching it, I was like, "Wow, Carrie was not socialized properly." Because what happens in the beginning of the movie is she gets her period in the sh- in the shower, the gym shower at school, right? And mm-hmm. all of her peers are already drying off and she has snuck into the shower to take her shower alone and it's like softcore porn her in the shower, slow-mo over her breasts, over her thighs. I had not I had not remembered how and they, sexy they well, make and her. They, they sexualize her period, oh, which totally. is even like yeah, more disturbing. It's really disturbing. Plus, the opening shot of the movie is them frolicking, snapping towels at each other naked. So it's very they set. It's well done in the sense that they really set up those first few minutes of over sexualized female energy, and then she bleeds in the shower, and you see the blood running down her leg and everything. And then she notices what's happened. This is her first period ever. And she has all this blood on her hands. And it's like slow-mo looking at her hands. And then she turns to her peers who are all like over there drying off, not paying attention to her. Where any of us average folk would like wash off real quick, wrap a towel around and go to the bathroom, like try to hide it. No. What does she do? She turns to her peers and puts her bloody hands up in the air and runs towards them Mm -hmm. screaming. And I just was like, wow, she was not socialized properly. Well, and remember mom believed everything was a sin just being just being a woman 
was a sin, right? Yes. Yeah. So Carrie's mom has borderline personality disorder. Times a thousand. <laughs> so when you watch this movie, if you rewatch this movie because, you know, what, whatever, because it's the Halloween season or because you're being reminded of it right this moment, please rewatch this movie. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Sissy Spacex, really good in it. Piper Laurie, Amy Irving. It's a hard one for me to sit through. John Travolta. So there is the one point, and you all know the point, when they're at the dance and you're waiting, and I forgot how long it takes, but I do remember the first time I saw this movie, how anxious I was, because you know what's going to happen like 30 minutes before it's going to happen, and you have to sit and wait. I think for me, too, is is Sissy Spacek plays this role almost too well Mm -hmm. that I get the same... It triggers me the same way as watching Ellen Burstyn, mm-hmm. um, whether it's in The Exorcist or what's the one she did about heroin? Oh, with Jared yeah, Leto. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ellen Burstyn does the same thing to me. She has this very sad, she plays these very sad characters. Empathetic. And there's, and there's something about her face. And the same, same Sissy Spacek is so thin and awkward. And I just like, it's one of those movies that, really is hard for me to sit through because I have so much empathy for her. I was struck by how beautiful she was in this. Mm. Because again, it's been over a decade since I watched but Carrie. But there's like a sadness about her. And I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I, I, maybe it's just the way that it was, it, it was normalized for so long to just, I don't know, like bully women around their sexuality and coming into their sexuality. And this movie just really amplifies that, all that. And, and from her mother, mostly, ironically. Yeah, I mean, that's what's really interesting about it is that that's, that's really where it comes from. And, mm-hmm. then, and then these women at school that bully her yeah. and do this to her, coming from a teenage place, they're just messed up teenagers bullying each other, which happens now. It's not, it's not new. It was happening then, and it's not changed all that much. It's happening now. I would say it is one of my top teen revenge movies yeah. ever made because the reason why is because it is very successful in scaring the crap out of you and making you very uncomfortable. Well, and the ending alone. I mean, we talked about Friday the 13th last week or the week before and how his inspiration for ending that movie was because of how Carrie ended, right? Exactly. It, it's just like, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really, it's great film and also there's a lot of psychology in it because the mom does have borderline personality disorder and there is the religious overtones i love all of that part of that you know the the trauma that that carrie goes through at home and then how she comes into the world incredibly innocent and i really enjoyed it we also watched poltergeist but i've seen that many times Mm -hmm. whereas carrie i hadn't i think probably for the same reason that you're saying like i hadn't sat it's not like oh let's watch carrie it's a really hard one for me to watch although i will be i will tell you when i announced that we were going to watch it in the discord with our patrons Mm -hmm. we had a lot of people show up for it i know they really wanted to see well it's a classic the one that i love is uh prom night that's another one that yeah yeah we should probably do that one sometime same genre yeah cool so what did you watch recently uh I watched a movie from 2019 called Here Comes Hell. And the reason I watched it is because I'm a huge Agatha Christie fan. Nice. So I thought it's from 2019, but it takes place in 1930. And so it's all shot in black and white, which is really cool. 
It's a 1930s dinner party descends into carnage, gore, and demonic possession in Here Comes Hell, a genre-clashing horror comedy. So all the close-up shots, it does very much feel like you're watching an an old movie. You know, when they're driving in the car, the background shots are obviously screens like they would use in the 30s when they would film. So I was really excited about it initially because I like movies that take you back to that time. And I'm also just a huge fan of Agatha Christie's and then there were none. Sure. All those, there's a new Hulu series actually that just started with Melissa McCarthy and it has that kind of feel too, where they're all like brought to this Island and sure. Yeah. So it starts off really fun and I feel like overall it's, it's, it is worth the watch if you like that Agatha Christie period piece, but I, and it really does also like, take you back like atmospherically the mansion the 30s the black and white like haunting a hill house or whatever all that stuff or not so much no not so much i would think like like murder mystery almost more like colombo (laughs) no like yeah maybe but it it just it takes you back to the 30s like it takes you back to that time but it, it i feel like it 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 starts off and it promises that it's going to give you this like really cool ride and then it just kind of putters out okay it's kind of um, i mean it is only 75 minutes long folks. i know so but it is witty and there's some funny parts it's only 75 minutes so for that reason it's kind of a fun watch so yeah. i wouldn't i wouldn't not watch it okay yeah perfect mm-hmm. i watched superhost which is a new movie. It's about an hour and a half long. Oh, yeah, I watched this one with you. 2021. Mm-hmm. With their follower count dwindling, travel vloggers Teddy and Claire pivot to creating viral content around their most recent super host, you know, like Airbnb super, Airbnb super host, Rebecca, who wants more from the duo than a great review. And this is writer-director Brandon Christensen. And... I thought the performance by, I believe, Gracie Gillum, who plays Rebecca. <laughs> so good. I want Rebecca back. Yeah. I think Rebecca needs to have more houses and be more crazy because she was, she was a lot of fun. She was. And I enjoyed this movie in general. I think it's worth a watch. I don't think you're seeing anything you haven't seen before, but I also have... I don't generally like horror movies that are new, that are kind of about our, I don't know, travel vlogging, YouTube, Instagramming. Like I don't like this. I don't, I haven't found a lot of horror flicks that I liked that are discussing our social media, but I liked this one better than most because a lot of times what the ones, you know, about YouTubers and travel vloggers and Instagram and blah, 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 is they really rely on the kitsch of that, of like, of the narcissism of that. Mm -hmm. They really lean into, oh, let's make the vloggers or whoever look like assholes and then kill them off or whatever. Like it tends to be about that, that they're jerks and they're going to get their comeuppance kind of thing. And although I will say that everyone I watched this movie with wanted them to die from the very first 15 minutes, which, but you know what? That's how, that's horror viewers. Horror watchers, we sit down, we watch a horror movie. We're like, okay, when is this person going to die? We yeah. want them dead. No, I want them to win and I want them to die. You I mean, really, you, I, I've never watched a movie with you that you've wanted some people to like really be knocked off. Yeah. There was one character in this. And again, I'm going to try, I'm really trying not to spoil it, but there's one character in this that I wanted to die from the very beginning. But by the end I was like, all right, so they could survive or not. 
but then they do die. So I was pretty happy about that, which is fine. Once Rebecca was on the scene, you know, there's something very wrong with Rebecca. Oh, Becky. Becky. Bexters. Yeah. Bex, as I like to call her. There's something wrong with her, and she was a lot of fun. And so I enjoyed the ride. Super host. Super. (laughs) Yeah, that like incongruent affect that was happening. So you enjoyed this movie too? Or what? Yeah, it was fun. I I joined in on, uh, I think, about 15 minutes. I was running a little bit late on the Discord, but I did. I liked her character a lot. Um, the same guy that you were not a big fan of, I kind of wanted him knocked off too. They yeah. were they were annoying the the couple were, but but I think that was intentional, and I was yes. fine with that. Yeah, they make the trouble. Like I said, they always make the vloggers or the social media icons or whatever. They yeah. make them really annoying, and they didn't they didn't not do this in the that right. in this. But they did give it more. They right. gave it more of a story by the end. And so in the beginning, I was like, oh, God, is it going to be another one of those ones yeah. where we just watch the like narcissistic social media people do their thing? And then Barbara Crampton is in it as well. I know. I wanted a little bit more Babs. She was great in it. I, I wanted, loved it. I wanted a little bit more Babs. She was in and out. But her part was, was her big part was great. Yeah. She was awesome. Yeah. What else did you watch? So I uh, I woke up the other morning on Sunday. I, I It's rare when I sleep in, but it was one of those Sundays where I'm like, I'm just going to take the morning easy. And I turned on the TV in my room and this movie was on in the background. And you know, like, like it'll say you have the opportunity to start it over or you can watch it live or whatever. So I started it over because I was kind of like drifting in and out. And I'm like, I don't know why, but I'm really drawn to this. And it's hit or miss for me with really old films. And this one really drew me in so this is a lot of people may have seen it because it's a classic it's from 1974 it's called frankenstein and the monster from hell it's a 1974 british horror film um baron victor frankenstein having survived the fire at the end of the previous film is housed at an insane asylum where he has been made a surgeon and given a number of privileges as he holds secret information about adolf klaus the asylum's corrupt and perverted director Frankenstein, under the alias of Dr. Carl Victor, uses his position to continue his experiments in the creation of man. So he hires this younger doctor, Simon Helder, who admires him, and he t- he hires Simon to sort of go out and do his dirty work, which is to essentially dig up well he doesn't dig up the graves but he has someone dig up the graves bring him the bodies and then he's starting to preserve all of these pieces and he creates a new monster with the brain of this guy who had passed and so he he puts the body together and he creates this monster and it has the flavor of like the original frankenstein but i don't know what it is it was done really well and it's just old and creepy and Obviously, you know, Frankenstein's monster comes alive and everyone wants him dead. So it plays out the same story. However, I think they it's it's unique in the sense that Dr. Frankenstein in this relationship with the younger doctor is really like the focus of the movie and just like the depravity and all of it that goes into creating this monster that inevitably is the one who actually suffers at the end. But it was for 1974... I was really, I liked it a lot. And it's got Peter Cushing in it. Yes. And he's, I, I actually, and this is, you know, classic controversial. He I like plays, Peter yeah, Cushing. Frankenstein. I like Peter Cushing a lot more than I like 
Vincent Price in some of his stuff. I agree. And he was I really great in like this. him. <laughs> he was really great as Frankenstein in this. So. Yeah. And mm-hmm. also, for those of you who don't know, Frankenstein Day was just on August 30th. Mm. And so a lot of the streaming services have a lot of Frankenstein movies. So check that out because they're out there. What what I think was cool about this too is it's 1974. And so this is previous to our mind hunter stuff and all that, but close enough to it where the new experiment, what they do is they take the brain of a homicidal inmate and they bring him back to life in this body. So yeah, just, and, and so what do they think is going to happen when man plays God, especially with the, you know, he's going to, he's going to attack God. Well, and this has been, this sort of idea has been ripped a million mm-hmm. times and, you know, face off and all kinds of different movies where that I, basic idea taking a criminal, a psychopath yep. and putting its brain or face or whatever the heck on a, on a different person and seeing what happens like that has, I don't know if this was the first movie to do that. But. I don't think so. I mean, that's sort of, you know, the, the origin of Frankenstein, as far as like the Frankenstein monster that we know that there's always been a flavor of that. I just think that this was done well, especially for 1974. It was a fun movie. Perfect. Yeah. You know what I also did is I watched the third episode of American Horror Story. I just started it. So I'm on episode one. Okay. I just completed it. Great. So I watched, I'm watching every week, so I'm keeping up with it, sort of, kind of. By the time this airs, a few more episodes will have come out. I'm liking it so far. I really like it. So I watched the third episode and I still like it. Good. And... I just there's some there's some nasty nasty monster type people in there that yeah. I that I really want to see more of. That's this is my <laughs> this is my request to the universe, even though the series has already been made. But I'm what I'm really what I really wanted to say about this is that in past seasons of American Horror Story, the other nine seasons, they did a big episode, you know, a big season long story arc. But always, if you notice, always in the middle they'll always do something along the lines of like killing everybody off and changing the story or something big happens and you go totally in a different direction to a different venue and have a whole other story start. So I want to tell you like, because this season actually just tells you up front, we're doing two separate shows. What they're doing, in my opinion, is they're actually just limiting expectations because they always used to do that where they would have this big twist in the middle of the season and it would shift the whole series. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people got very annoyed by that along Mm -hmm. the way. And so they'd be like, Oh, after that thing happened in the middle of the series, I just, I was like, yep, I'm good. That's that. You know, they would just kind of give up on it because when you change the rules in the middle of a series so drastically, sometimes people just go like, "Ugh, I can't do it. But this year they're so smart. Mm-hmm. They're like, we're doing that, but we're not going to pretend like it's not two different stories. We're yeah. just going to have two different stories. And I'm kind of liking that because what I notice in episode three is it's, it remains tight. Good. It's moving along. It's Good. tight. So I'm excited. The other thing, lastly, I just wanted to mention before we get to your trivia answers and my shame and humiliation at not knowing <laughs> the answer is I wanted to mention I started out watching a series called Into the Night. Season three came out on September 8th, I believe. But I am, uh, season two came out on September 8th. I'm starting with season one and there's, you know, six or eight episodes or whatever. And I want to tell you, it's a Belgian sci-fi thriller. And I've only watched 
two episodes so far. It's Great. quite good. It's very like fast paced. It's one of those series so far. And again, I only watched two episodes where it's action, a lot going on, setting up stuff. And at the end of each episode, there's some kind of really gripping conclusion that makes you want to go to the next one. Like, oh shit, what are they going to do now? Yeah. I like it. Cool. So I'm going to watch the rest of it and give you guys a full on review about it. All right. So here we go. Take it away. All right, number one, when was when and where was the first Dracula film made? Oklahoma in 1922. The year you're actually not far off, far off. It's 1931, but it's New York. Okay. I, Oklahoma was super joke. Oh, sorry yes. for those of you who live in Oklahoma. I don't know if Dracula would be walking around Oklahoma City. I don't know. But I, don't know. I was making a joke. What movie and director set the groundwork for the slasher genre? I don't know. It was John Carpenter Halloween. Fair, um, fair. However, the earliest influences are Peeping Tom from 1960 ah. and, and Psycho, of course. But they were saying that really the influence was Italian giallo <laughs> and psychological horror. Of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> giallo is, is violent. Yes, it is. Oh, my gosh. I'm misogynistic. And oh, it's, it's terrible. pretty amazing. I mean, it's pretty amazing. I need to watch more of it, actually. Right. <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with it, as well, you know. I think we both do. Number three, how long does it take for a body to decompose? Well, I was going to say, I mean, it's a super guess. Three days? Yeah. Tw- well, it's 24 to 72 hours. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was in the range. After death. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, it'd be weird if it started before death. I don't that, know why. That it, would be strange. Although I, some days. I don't know why it clarifies that. Some days I, I relate to that. Do you feel like you're decomposing? I do. I do too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Number four. How old so is... So we could go with the metaphor. Yeah, yeah. For the- <laughs> how old is King Tut's mummy? 15,000 years. Over 3,300 years. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't have known where to start with that. <laughs> I know. I, I went big. I was going to say 2,000. That was my other guess. So if we were on Jeopardy, 2,000 would have gotten me more. I mean, a uh, safe guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then who is the first witch in history? Number five. So... I don't know. I was wondering if you knew this one. I don't know. I I think I know the first witch that was killed as a witch. Okay, but I don't that. know if she was the first witch witch. And I know it happened like, I don't remember the year, but I know it happened in like the late 1600s. Okay. And I know she had, uh, I don't remember her last, I think it was a bee name, like yes. a Bridget or yes. somebody. Oh, so that that's recorded as the first witch ever. Bridget, oh, because she was killed as a witch, that's how they... Bridget Bishop. Okay, yeah, I don't, I didn't know. I didn't but that was close. Time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. See, you know your witches. 75% of a point. Yeah. <laughs> I got 1.75, right? Look at you. <laughs> yeah, and that, I guess that makes a little bit of sense because I was thinking, well, I know the first person that died as a witch, and I guess that's how the criteria for that was the first witch. Yeah. I didn't know if there was some other yeah, way get- they were establishing. And, and that makes sense because in the, in the eye of the law, or the lawlessness that was happening at the time. That's how we were talking about the first witch. But all right, cool. Well, thank you so much for everything today, Kathy. You're so welcome. Thank you. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like more behind the scenes or to hang out with us, just join our patron patreon actually and join our discord. And we would love, 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 love to have you. But other than that, Thank you so much for listening. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.